0: Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 143, recorded on February 2nd, 2020. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Hello, Joe. Good to be connected with you. Huge week, a lot to jump
1: into. Let's start with Qt's changes. No, not changes that are cute, but changes from Cute. Yeah, we're talking about the toolkit that Plasma's based on, sometimes called Qt, from the Cute company, formerly Trolltech.
0: They're kicking the new year off with some big changes. They write on their blog, to support the continuous growth required to keep Qt as a development platform relevant, we need to make changes to our offering. One, installing of Qt binaries will require a Qt account, a.k.a. you'll have to get a user ID and password, and you'll have to log in to get to them. Their long-term supported LTS releases and their offline installer will only be available to commercial licensees, and the new Cute offering for startups and small businesses will be launched. It'll be a special price point at $499 a year. This could put the open source community in a bad situation. Because if I'm reading this right, Joe, bug fixes will be going to the LTS versions or the latest development releases of Cute. In other words, say you're, you're building Corita or Kadian Live. You either need to license the long-term support versions of Qt and get bug fixes on that, which at a minimum would be $499. However, I think the Creative Foundation looked into it, and at a budget of $125,000 a year, they make too much to get that $499 price point. So who really knows how much they have to pay? So they either pay an untold amount of money to get the long-term support version or they ride that development wave and they, they stay absolutely current. But here's the thing to consider. We're not that far away from Qt 6. And then what do we do? Does everybody just jump to this brand new release? Because the older versions, except for the LTS, as far as I understand this, won't be getting bug fixes.
1: Well, that seems to be the situation. And so surely there are only two possible conclusions to this. Either Qt will be forked, and maintained by the community or someone else, and people will just use that and not necessarily contribute to the original cute. or the cute company are going to have to backpedal on this. And that seems more likely to me.
0: I'm pretty sure there's already a serious contender from the community in the works. I don't know much about it, so I don't want to speak out of turn, but it seems that the developers are already actively considering that. I'm left pondering long-term what the cute company's business model is here, they were already on fragile terms with the open-source community's understanding of what the licensing requirements are. I've seen them upset developers over changing the rules. And now this, it just wasn't a step in the right direction. On the Cute project mailing list, Nikola Marchenko nailed what the new business model is, and it just sums up my concerns. He writes, "Cute is becoming your average AAA game. They're essentially selling us time savers. Most of the attached value of the commercial license— isn't something that is inherent to the license but stuff that everyone could do anyway just with a lot of effort they are selling us the solution to a problem that they are the ones that are creating in the first place he's talking about these things are going to be selling to the marketplace which is the real reason they want you to create an account they say they want you to create an account because it'll encourage open source community members to contribute if they already have an account and it opens up a dialogue with businesses. But the real reason is because it also gets you an account in their marketplace. Here's what they're offering developers now. A login requirement that you have to get credentials for. No offline packages. You have to spend time compiling Q with your own system. No LTS support unless you buy it. Or go find one of the community forks that'll undoubtedly be created around their own LTS fork. And it's all possible to do all of that without paying, So they're just asking you, pay us some money and we'll solve these problems for you that we just created. And they're not even really doing it right. Because it's not something you couldn't solve. It's not some unsolvable problem without their help. It's something if you just put a little time and effort into it and go find the right stuff in the community, yeah, I'll solve it. Also, there's alternatives to cute now that are getting less buggy and more efficient. As cute gets bigger, I just don't know what they're thinking here. It's it's so disappointing because I know it's something that is so useful. It has been impressive to watch the Plasma desktop build off of these technologies. And all of the great cute applications in that ecosystem have just, in the last five years, have just gotten better and more feature-rich and more stable. So it's a real punch to the gut to see stuff
1: like this. So what do you see happening here? Do you think they'll backpedal like I do? I don't.
0: I, I don't think they'll backpedal. I wish they would, but I think the community will adapt and they'll come up with their own solutions. But I think upstairs in the tower of the Cute company, <laughs> they're looking at their businesses there, their papers in Finland, and they're saying to ourselves, you know what? Our headcount in the last year increased from 295 to 339. And our revenue, all our charts show things are growing. Our open source strategy is working because look at this. Our revenues are
1: going up. Our company is growing. More Cute is in deployment than ever.
0: Everything's great.
1: Well, you have to wonder how long it's going to keep going well for them if they keep making decisions like this.
0: Well, Linus thought it was a good decision to release Linux 5.5, and he says, quote, it was a pretty quiet week. If this is Linus's version of quiet, I don't want to know his version of crazy, busy. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of stuff in here that I personally am very pleased to see land in the Linux kernel. Well, yeah, one of the huge
1: ones is mainline support for the Raspberry Pi 4.
0: Yeah, that's great considering that I have a handful of them. Also, temperature info from NVMe SSDs, that's pretty great. But the one that really tickles me is I have a seven-year-old Logitech G15 gaming keyboard that actually runs Linux itself, and it has a little display on it. And support for that sucker landed, thanks to a Red Hat engineer, in (laughs) 5.5. I'm going to go take that thing out of the closet.
1: No way. I didn't think that anyone would have one still from 15 years ago. It's like
0: a surfboard. It is a serious little machine in there, and it gets warm. Also, kind of cool to see some code from System76 landing in the Linux kernel.
1: Yeah, the ACPI driver, and I noticed that too and thought, oh, that's cool that they're getting some stuff upstreamed. But I do have to correct you on your pronunciation of NVMe, as usual.
0: Did I get it wrong again? I really tried this
1: time. I know you tried, but that one kind of scares me because it means I'm probably going to have to buy a heatsink when I see how hot mine's running.
0: <laughs> I can see the telegrams now. You think this is right? Check yours. What's your temperature at? <laughs> yeah. And good news for you, Joe. They landed Thunderbolt 3 support for Macs uh, in this kernel. I know your uh, brand-new MacBook Pro is going to need that.
1: <laughs> what well, my Core 2, Joe, MacBook Pro that has got USB 2, I think, and uh, some sort of FireWire. I think that's already all supported.
0: Oh, you got FireWire on that thing. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of FireWire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I do really like this kernel. However, uh, I can't help but look at the new Shiny because Linux 5.6 is on track to mainline WireGuard. It's in Linus's tree right now, and there is such a... R- Unlikely chance it's going to be taken out at this stage. I, I, I have, I have set my expectations to mild, but it's so unlikely. It's it's like a lock, pretty
1: much. Yeah, and this is huge. We've been waiting for this for how long?
0: I, I think two thousand years. Um, because uh, I feel like this has been the the software that we have essentially waited the last three or four releases for, and it just wasn't quite there. But part of what's pushed this over the final line, I suspect is WireGuard's main developer, Jason Donfeld, has also been contributing to the AVX crypto optimizations to the kernel, which is not part of WireGuard itself, but something WireGuard could potentially use. And I think that's helped get that more performant, which is up to the standards of WireGuard, and the two have kind of come together at the right time, and it's a kumbaya, and Linus has always been a big fan of the technology to begin with. And um, here we are with a simple,
1: simple change line that just says, quote, add WireGuard. But come on, the biggest change coming in 5.6 is a fix for the 2038 bug in 32-bit kernels.
0: I saw that, yeah, yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm a little disappointed in this one. I was really looking forward to some Y2K hype again. Everything that's old is new again, and I'm ready for that. That was a good time. Can you believe that that is happening in 18 years? I mean, I'd like one a little sooner than that. I'd like another hype cycle. Um, For me, it was a great time. I remember we stayed up late, uh, we waited to see if the uh, world burned down. And then my coworker and I loaded up in our car and we went to work and we checked on all the servers to make sure everything was working. It was, you know, as a young IT professional, it was, I look back on it very fondly. And I, I had like no skin in the game. Everybody
1: was freaking out. I'm like, yeah, whatever happens, happens. I got a job. <laughs> Fair enough. It was great. But USB 4.0 is also going to be in 5.6. six.
0: Yeah. Boy, talk about getting stuff uh, before it's even needed in the market. I I love when vendors work upstream. And along with that USB 4.0 support is also a bunch of other drivers and things that make that possible. And finally, time namespace, which was originally proposed back in 2018, it allows for per namespace offsets to the system clock. I know. What? It's crazy. But think of a multi-thousand container system or multi-hundred even container system and you want to boot things up in a way where everything's in the right time, everything's in the right sync even though there's delays just because of the pure load of that, if you can factor for that and set time offsets in those namespaces well, then magic can happen. I actually don't know what the (laughs) primary use case would be other than compensating for boot time, but perhaps that's enough reason to
1: implement this. I just think it's the coolest feature ever. Time namespaces, Joe. Yeah, I knew you'd notice that one with you being all in on containers these days. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, I'm just so all in. You know what it is? It's just that uh, I'm sort of sick and tired of doing VMs. looks like Michael Larable over at Pharonix noticed that Ubuntu 20.04 even though it will ship an older kernel, will backport WireGuard into Ubuntu 2004, which is important since that's a long-term support. Not technically too hard either, since WireGuard has been maintaining a tree that goes alongside the Linux kernel for years now. So the the code's there. Um, They just had to do the work to bring it in and get the user space tools up in the archive and all that. It looks like that's happening.
1: So it looks like 2020 is the year of WireGuard then.
0: Whoop, whoop. I don't think I made a prediction about that, which is a massive oversight on my part.
1: Yeah, but Alex did, so he's got that one over you. Ah, dang it. Good for him. Good for him. Good. Fair play. Fair play, I suppose. Well, something that I'm not sure many people would have predicted is that Thunderbird is being spun out into its own wholly owned subsidiary, cleverly called the MZLA Technologies Corporation, or MZLA Technologies Corporation.
0: Yeah, MZLA. You know, I'm not surprised Thunderbird's kind of been on shaky ground from we're putting her in maintenance mode to, oh, all right, we'll take donations to, hey, we got some donations I'm going to hire to now this move. They write on the blog, this move has been in the works for a while as Thunderbird has grown in donations, staff, and aspirations. This will not impact Thunderbird's day-to-day activities or missions. It will remain free and open source. So that's good. They go on to write, moving to Mozilla, (laughs) which sounds a lot like Mozilla, but without some of the letters, Uh, to Mozilla Technologies Corporation will not only allow Thunderbird to have more flexibility and agility, but also allow us to explore offering our users products and services that were not possible under the Mozilla Foundation. The move will allow the project to collect revenue through partnerships and non-charitable donations, which in turn can be used to
1: cover the cost of new products and services. So we're going to get a VPN client in Thunderbird.
0: <laughs> oh, I hope
1: so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, let's see, a VPN client, uh, a cloud storage client. Um, actually, that wouldn't be too bad. I don't know. Um, it's never going to happen, but I would pay for really well-developed Mozilla extensions, like a a Fantastical quality calendar for Mozilla. Fantastical is an app on the phone. Just a really great calendar app. Something that was like Enigmail, but even easier and simpler and more approachable. I'd you know, i pay a couple bucks for that. I suspect it's through other partnerships. I have no idea what that could mean. Maybe it's bundling. Who knows? I guess we'll just wait and see.
1: Well, this is good news as far as I'm concerned. It's good news in that they're not just leaving it to rot. They They're putting it out there as its own corporation that can work to make its own money. And I set my dad up on Thunderbird years and years ago and he's just been slowly updating and using it and it's been working fine for him. But I've been kind of keeping an eye on alternatives in case Thunderbird goes away. But this kind of gives me confidence that it won't go away and I won't have to migrate him.
0: I really like it too. I don't use it every single day, but just about every system I have that I do email on, I got Thunderbird on there doing something. We can put some of this into context when we look at their last year. In the last year, they hired six new employees, five engineers, and a community manager, which really came in, from what I can tell, primarily funded by donations, which seems to be the company's primary source of funding. Now, that's not going to scale much wider than I would bet it is right now, unless they started taking on a lot of new users, because a very small percentage of them might contribute. So I I can see why they need to look for other revenue sources, But boy, is this going to be one of those things that the community will watch so closely with a lot of skepticism, because email is one of those things people can be very sensitive about. And if you're in Thunderbird, there's a very, very high chance you're already sensitive to snooping from things like Gmail and Hotmail and all the other cloud
1: emails that are reading your emails. Yeah, so let's hope that any of these commercial offerings will be optional. I would imagine they would be.
0: You know, my read is that they know how to handle this kind of thing, that they know their audience and they know how to go about it. So I'm not overly concerned. Just a little more context. According to the uh, data from Litmus email analytics, the Mozilla email client accounted for just 0.5% of all email opened across devices in Q1 of 2019. However, that is up from 0.1% in Q2 of 2018. So they had a pretty good year in 2019. To put that in perspective, Apple is around 7.8% with their mail client and Outlook is only around
1: 10%. Just really around 9.2%. I'm surprised that's even that high given how popular webmail is these days.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Outlook I thought would be a little higher because uh, you know, back in my corporate days, um I I literally saw people that spent their entire day in Outlook. It was on every corporate computer everywhere. Although I, I bet a lot of them are just sending internally, and so when you're when you're collecting analytics based on headers, you're only looking at emails that are sent externally. So maybe that outlook figure is a little low, but you're right. It really does demonstrate the total massive dominance of, of webmail. It's crazy.
1: Well, we had some news from IBM this week that shows quite how important Red Hat is to them these days.
0: The current CEO, Ginny Rometty, is stepping down from the 108-year-old company. She's going to be replaced by IBM's senior vice president of cloud. And the same day, Jim Whitehurst, the CEO of Red Hat, will become president of IBM.
1: Yeah, and Arvind Krishna, the new CEO, was pretty heavily involved in the Red Hat acquisition. So to put him in charge and then to have his number one be Jim Whitehurst to me at least, says that the acquisition was pretty important to them.
0: I remember when they acquired Red Hat, there was speculation about sort of an acquisition from within and having Jim run the company. And I th- I suspect Red Hat employees are pretty happy with this move. And it was an unfounded speculation, because you have to understand, Ginny didn't risk necessarily oversee like a super successful run of the company. IBM experienced 22 consecutive quarters of sales declines under her leadership, that is pretty bad. Year-over-year sales dropped nearly 4% from 2018. And I suspect part of the Red Hat acquisition was an attempt to right that trend, but it was
1: too late. Yeah, and the stock price hasn't exactly done well under Ginny, but I think she was kind of there at a, a big period of change in the whole industry and to be fair to her she did oversee that red hat acquisition and that hopefully for IBM will kind of drag them back into relevance and profitability
0: yeah i, I completely agree with that i mean maybe she she had a certain set of market conditions that were changing and IBM was geared for one set and- A transition needed to happen.
1: Yeah, and a company of that size doesn't just turn on a sixpence. You know, it takes a long time to turn that ship around. And that's kind of what she's done here, isn't it? I wonder how involved Jim Whitehurst
0: will be at Red Hat now, if he still is also running the show over there, if there's going to be promotions within Red Hat. I I have a suspicion there will be another part of this story once this sort of settles down, and that'll be what's the leadership story now at Red Hat.
1: Yeah, it will be interesting to see that, but we probably won't find out before April, because that's when Krishna and Whitehurst are actually going to take up these new roles. Well, I haven't said this
0: for a while. Google has something pretty cool for the open source community. It's OpenSK.
1: Yeah, which is a fully open source security key implementation written in Rust, so... That got you excited, I assume.
0: Well, of course, and the fact that it supports the FIDO U2F and FIDO 2 standards. But this is like a full stack they have here. The Open SK Research Platform, as they put it, it's not only a, a software part, but they have the hardware bit, and they even make available a custom 3D printable case so you can protect the key. I love this. You're right, the fact that it's written in Rust is kind of nice. Rust has strong memory protection. And it makes code generally less vulnerable to logical attacks. And they combine that with TalkOS, which has a sandboxed architecture. That's the little bit that runs on the key, which offers isolation between the security key applet itself, the drivers, the kernel. It's all completely isolated from each other. It's really kind of neat the way it does it. And they bring it all together into a complete package. They have a demo that we'll have linked in the show notes. And anybody that's thought about like a YubiKey kind of thing before,
1: this is right up your alley. Yeah, this isn't kind of a finished product. This is more aimed at people who want to make a finished product out of it.
0: Yeah, you could, I mean, if you, I think tinkers would be happy with it too, but you're right. This is a great starting point. And I was, funny enough, just before this announcement, I was thinking to myself, maybe I should get back into this again. It really, like when you have a YubiKey, it was really so nice, especially when you use it for like SSH logins and laptop encryption keys and stuff like that. It's so great. So
1: something that's an open standard like this that anybody could build, it's pretty good to see. Pretty, pretty good. And you can actually try this out right now. If you've got a Nordic dongle, you can just flash this on there and get going straight away. So much going on every single week.
0: You can get every single episode by going to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes of this here show.
1: And you can go to linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get
0: in touch with us. And I'm going to recommend again, check out Linux Headlines. headlines. LinuxHeadlines.show. Every weekday in three minutes or less, everything going on in the world of Linux. New releases, big software updates, all kinds of stuff. Get it fresh.
1: LinuxHeadlines.show. We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I'm at Chris LAS. I'm at Jar Risington. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. See you later.